Hey, everybody. Welcome to E14 Podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we're E14. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our own and not the United States Navy or our respective commands. So you can take it or leave it. Boom. Mic drop. drop. (laughs) So I know we talked about this before on one of our previous episodes, but if, you know, Heath and I are different ranks and we do want to pay respects to that the people that outrank us. Um, But there's a a thing about being a Navy chief wife and also a E6, you know, sometimes with Heath's friends, I meet them and we go by first names. And usually, typically, if it's one of Heath's friends that I've met in, you know, as his wife. Social gathering. Yeah, as his wife. I will refer to them as their first name. If it's someone I work for, I refer to them with their rank. Uh, So, you know, we have Tomas on. Tomas Garcia. Yeah, he is a master chief, um, but he was also your friend. He was my friend, still my friend. Well, still your friend, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we're stationed in Kingsville, which is how I met him. Yeah, I'll tell you, it was funny because he came off as a cob off the submarines, right? right. So in the, in the submarines, a cob chief of the boat, it's like the command master chief of a shore installation or a ship. Yeah. So we still called him cob. So he came in as the CMC, but y'all still called him. We called him cob, and they used to piss the XO off. <laughs> He's not on a sh- submarine no more. It's CMC. Well, how about chief of the base, cob? Chief of the base. Yeah. That's a hey, that fits the acronym. So yeah, no, uh, we met uh, Tomas and his wife Marcy. Um, Back when we were in, in Kingsville, and it's been a long uh, friendship, and just so happy that he came on to talk about his leadership style and his uh, what do you call it philosophy? Yeah, philosophy. Yeah, his his philosophy. leadership philosophy, and that is something so interesting because I never thought about it to make your own philosophy and live by it. Duh. Right. Yeah, and he's not blowing smoke up our ass. That's how he does business. You know, yeah. I worked for him for a few years, and that's how he conducts business. You know, if it's ethical, moral, and legal, he's good for it. He'll, he's, it's a, if it's as long as that, he'll go with your idea, as long uh-huh. as those three things. So he's super easy to work. He was super easy to work for, uh, as long as it was ethical, moral, and legal. Yeah. He was game. So, so um, please enjoy this episode with Tomas. Yeah, enjoy it because, uh, like I said, this is no shit how he rolls. It's it, fire. It's fire. How long have you been in the Navy? Oh, me blow me life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We have 40 years of naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real-world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy, with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah! Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the 14 Podcast. We have with us my friend and, and my old command master chief, Tomas Garcia. How you doing today, brother? Hey, bro. I'm doing well. Thanks, uh, and thanks for having me. Uh, it's it's awesome to see you guys again so uh, yeah i'm excited to do this with you guys yeah thanks so much for being on with us uh before we get started let's go ahead and take a break from a word from our sponsors this is vice 
Request permission to entertain the audience with a limerick. A limerick, you say? Entertain us, you shall. If you want to make money for your show, get off your ass and search for Podgo. A simple way to make some cash and get a sponsor for your podcast. Apply online is all you do. Then Podgo will reply in a week or two. Is it really that easy? Well, if I did it, then it must be so. Type P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. One more request, if it pleases the vice. Okay, fine. Proceed if you will. For all who request a Podgo account, tell them E14 Podcast is how you found out. All right, welcome back everybody again. E14 Podcast with us today is Command Master Chief Tomas Garcia. Tell so, us a little about yourself. Tomas, can you tell us how long you've been in the Navy, kind of where you got started and stuff? Yeah, sure. Uh, I uh, enlisted out of uh, South Texas, a little town called Bishop. Um, it's right next to uh, Kingsville, Texas. Uh, uh, it was influenced by the Naval Air Station there in Kingsville. Uh, my dad was a career firefighter there for over 25 years. Um, so, you know, military is all I wanted to do um, coming out of high school. So, you know, I, I tried to follow my dad's steps in the, in the Air Force, but that, that didn't work out. You know, the Air Force recruiters weren't there or, or you know, they were, they were full. So um, mm-hmm. the, Navy, the Navy guy got me and uh, I, I really wanted to go aviation um, because the Naval Air Station in Teensville, I thought it'd be really cool to join the Navy and be stationed at home. Um, and when I got to the MEPS, they, they talked to me about submarines and I absolutely <laughs> fell in love with the idea of it. Um, so God bless that classifier and, and the hard work. That's that the opposite. So yeah, it's extreme opposite, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, imagine my mom's surprise when I came home and she's expecting me to tell her about a five-year AT contract for aviation and electronics. And I tell her I, I joined for six years in the submarine electronics community. Um, yeah, I, I think she slapped me, but I'm not sure. I, I know she <laughs> cried and I, you know, it broke my heart. <laughs> Um, but I knew that's what I want to do uh, from the get-go. I, you know, the goal was 20 years, uh, go as far as the Navy would let me go. And uh, I've, um, like I said, we started out in the submarine community, and I absolutely fell in love with the submarine community, the missions, the operations that we did from, you know, everything from you know, deploying uh, SEAL teams to uh, intelligence or surveillance, uh, operations with, with battle groups. Uh, just the operations and the versatility of the submarine community just, you know, just it captured me. Um, so then I just wanted to go as far as I could in that community. Uh, ended up serving set, uh, 24 years as um, a career submariner. I went from you know ET3 all the way to uh, ETCM. Uh, when I made senior chief, I, I took on the role as the chief of the boat, um, which for those people that aren't uh, um, knowledgeable of submarine community. The chief of the boat is our command master chief on submarines. So in 2008, started that tour um, and absolutely fell in love with um, helping junior sailors. So, you know, at that point in my career, it wasn't about electronics anymore as much as it was people maintenance. And I, you know, helping people, helping sailors and, you know, the, their, their progression just, it, it, it captured me. And it's, it's what I, you know, who I am and, and what I'm all about. Uh, so I moved my way up through Cobb on submarines and, um, you know, there's, there's only a certain amount of tours they let you serve as a cop. And then they say, all right, you should, maybe you got to find a new, a new, uh, <laughs> lifestyle. What are you going to do next? And so I, I threw my name in the, in the hat for command mass sheet program. I got selected. Um, and then that, that took me a, a whole nother route. You know, I ended up at, 
in my hometown, believe it or not. So that, that ET3 or AT3 that want to get stationed at home um, got to do it um, only as a command master chief of the base there in Kingsville. So that was a, an amazing opportunity for me. And then after that, uh, I, I found myself in the recruiting world. I uh, did th- two years out in San Jose as a CMC for Navy Recruiting District, San Francisco, that turned into uh, NTAG Golden Gate. And then uh, mm-hmm. I ended up at Region uh, West as a command master chief for all Navy recruiting, um, basically uh, from Texas on out to Japan. So that's uh, in a nutshell. I know you, you probably wanted the 32nd version of what I what I do or what I brought, but uh, wow, what approaching what 31 you... years. No, that's perfect. That's <laughs> that's perfect, man. Uh, and I know you, 2008, you first Cobb tour. Is that about right? That's right. So what's and you then you went to the uh, installations where you were uh, above the water, being a command master chief. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what? I know in the in the submarine force, and I, I've never been stationed on one. I have been on tenders, so I've I've been on submarines, and I've helped calibrate some of their equipment. But it's a you don't have a lot of resources, right? First of all, you can't check your email unless you're periscope depth. So you go days without even knowing. You could be in a get in a fight with your old lady over email, and, you, and they don't get your response until a week later. That's right. That's you know, right. It's, it's crazy. So. You gotta be on your toes as a as a chief of the boat on those things compared to the a CNC of a, a of a installation or or a ship. Yeah, I I'd say uh, we we have to. Do you want to talk about email? We have to carefully monitor the email that comes on and off the ship. And I know you know we don't want to talk about uh, filtering out or um, editing our emails. The sailors will get their unedited email. We just have to. Sometimes we have to find the right time to deliver that email because it could impact our operation. You know, keeping a clear mind on, on your watch station has got to be at the forefront of, of you know, your 24-hour day on a submarine. So you, know, you get those Dear John letters, you know, you get that fight with the wife and that's going to distract you from your job. You may have to, you know, as a chief of the boat, you might have to work with the executive officer and commanding officer and say, hey, you know, now is not the right time for this sailor to get this email. Um, it's going to cause a distraction and you know when you're operating greater than 400 feet below the sea uh one mistake could could end up you know the lives of 130 sailors so uh you know talk about leadership and applying that and like figure out what the when the right time is um and then delivering that information and having the, the plan once we deliver this information that sailor is going to want to go home and what do you have to do you know what are all the logistics that come behind that email um, and, you know, how is it going to affect not just that sailor, but 130 other sailors? Um, so it's it's tricky. Um, and you definitely got to stay on your toes and, 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 and monitor those those communications and, and making sure that your your sailors um, are all clear uh, in their mental health state. That's heavy. Man, we talk about, you know, anchors are heavy and all of this stuff, but that's heavy knowing that information about your sailor and saying, I got to hold it for the, for the mission of the, you know, for the mission uh, and, and for the lives that are on board. And then I still, I know I have to deliver this and when is the right time. And one time I, I had an admiral that I worked for one time. He said, sometimes being a leader is figuring out where to poke the balloon so that you have the least amount of impact or <laughs> implosion. And like that, that that's kind of what you had to deal with there. It is, absolutely. Um, 
It's, it's tough. You know, you talk about being an intrusive leader. This takes it to a whole new level because you do know everything about every single one of your sailors. You have to, because if you don't and you don't care, um, bad things are going to happen and mm-hmm. you just gotta stay ahead of it. I can't imagine that. You know, I've been in chief since 2011, but that's a different level. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is a different level where you're like, hey, I don't know if this kid can get this email right now. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's a lot of, yeah. that's a lot of weight on, on that individual's shoulders that has to make that decision. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then so you know the information, you're yeah. underway, you're in your daily watch routines and your watch station and you see that sailor and you know, you want to tell them, it's like, man, I got a secret. Shh, what, what do I do with this information? It's like, Shimei, how you doing today? How's things? You know, when's the last time you heard from home? You know, how are you feeling? Uh, knowing damn well I've got information to give to that sailor, but I can't do it right now. I mean, it's hard and it is heavy. Absolutely. Yeah. But other things like, you know, on a ship, you've got a career counselor, you've got, you know, you got a chaplain, you've got a lot of things on those surface fleets or on an installation that you don't have on the submarine force. So I know as the cob, you got to wear a lot of damn hats. Yeah. So you got to have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of different things, right? That, that's right. You know, the CMCs and COBs, we, we go through the same exact training. The only differences between COB and a CMC is the ship's handling characteristics. And, you know, we're the boatswain's mate when we're topside, when we're, when we're, you know, maneuvering in and out of port. The COB is the, the man in charge topside or the person in charge topside. Um, and we've never been to boatswain mate school. So, you know, it's, it's learn as you go, OJT. But you're absolutely right. When it comes to a chaplain, we don't have a chaplain either. Uh, we do have our career counselors, but they're normally, you know, a senior first class, let's say a sonar tech or an FT or ET um, that are out of rate and they're doing it as a collateral duty. So the cob really has to have that CCC level of knowledge uh, in order to make those programs survive. Um, so, yeah, I used to joke um, earlier when I was when I, when I was just a cob um, that, you know, a, co- a CMC has people, has the resources a cob is the people. Um, mm. We are the ones that, that had to, to serve as a bosun mate when we're topside, lending that ear and, and, and serving as a chaplain. You know, we have a corpsman. We've got a, one corpsman, the IDC, that uh, you know, doc is, is all things corpsman and chaplain, and the CMC or the cob is the backup uh, when you're underway. Uh, and then, you know, other things like career counselors. I know we talked about that earlier. Um, that's a collateral duty for a submarine. Um, first class is usually a senior first class, maybe even a second class um, that's going to serve as a career counselor. But they're very limited. They, they went to the school, but their primary tasking underway is to focus on, you know, sonar, fire control, electronics. Um, so the COB has to have that CCC level of knowledge. And again, I never, I never went to career counselor school, so I had to OJT learn as I go. And you know, what's a career development board? And how often do I have to do these? And and you know, what's important to talk about at these career development boards? So uh, it it's definitely hard. And yeah, how do you? <laughs> I can't say now that you know that I'm any less intrusive. Um, maybe it's because I you know I came up as a cop, um, but I, I know plenty of CMCs out there that that never served on submarine and you know. Their, their Democrat factors just as high as mine when it comes to, you know, all the sailor programs. 
how do you deal with all of that? How do you balance uh, all of that weight on your shoulders that you have to carry as a cob and knowing everything you need to know about your sailors, including all of the additional extracurricular um, stuff that you have to have, plus, you know, the, the job. How do you balance all of that? Uh, it's, you get a, you have to have a battle rhythm, your daily routine. It's like, what time am I going to get to the boat in the morning? And what am I going to do first? You know, uh, you start with talking to your sailors as soon as you get there and finding out what's the, what's the biggest thing there. The, the, the funny thing about a, a Cobb schedule and it, this, and, and maybe it was just mine. I can't speak for everybody, but my schedule was, there is no schedule, right? Mm. Who's who's hurting the most right now? Who do I need to go pay attention to? Um, and sometimes uh, I might have to, def- if we're important, if we're lucky enough to be important, I can, I can defer those to, you know, a professional counselor or a chaplain, uh, the corpsman, um, so that I can do other stuff, like make sure that the maintenance is getting up, is, is, is happening on the boat, that we're getting, you know, all the pre-underway checks and, and doing all the other stuff, looking at watch bills and manning uh, and getting all that stuff done. So, it, it is a lot, um, but, you know, as you're going through that quad card, it really does prepare you um, to handle it and figure out your battle rhythm on a daily basis on how to, how to handle all that. Uh, you know, I think for me personally, uh, it's just what I love to do. It's who I am as a person. You know, every ship or every command that you might go to in the Navy, Air Force, across the services, Every commanding officer is going to have their philosophy, their their mission, their vision, their guiding principles. This is how I'm going to run my command. As a COB uh, or a CMC, it's imperative that you have your own personal philosophy and and you tie those two together. Is how am I as a human being going to support my CO? How am I as a leader going to support the mission of this of this command? Um, and you know, I talk about it every everywhere I've ever been uh, since I since I started out as a cop. Uh, my philosophy um, is is a very simple one. Uh, there's four four parts to it, four pillars. Um, it's an acronym, and I, I like to I like to to always talk about it. Is is you know, we'll take this back to caveman days, right? Mm-hmm. So, what was the most important tool for a caveman? Fire. It was fire. That's right. He's to serve with me, right? So he knows the right yeah. answer. He already knows the already answer. Know the answer. That's, that's no fair. He knew the answer to the test. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but fire is the most important tool for the caveman, right? It provided heat. Uh, it was a, you know, a heat source to cook their food, to keep them warm, um, to, to light up their caves. Just versatile, versatile, versatile part of, of their life. Um, we, we take that to modern days and we're still reliant on fire. Um, I know, you know, the Elon Musk's and the, and the tech world will, will disagree with me because, you know, electric vehicles are taking over my, my uh, synonyms or <laughs> I forget the <laughs> word for it, but, but uh, another way of saying this, but, you know, fire is what propels me because I'm a dinosaur, right? My, my 1982 Jeep CJ7 is still operated on fire, right? Combustion engine. Right, so right. that fire is what you know, I'm dependent on it daily to get me to work, to get me to go get the groceries, to cook my groceries, right? Because I don't believe in electric stove. I got a gas stove, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm ancient. I get it. I'm not with the times. But what I'm getting at 
and, and I'm ramble on about fire and how important it is, is I've used this word, and I don't know if you guys caught that caught it earlier when I was talking about what my dad's profession was as a firefighter. Mm. Um, I just I just tied it all together. Um, and to me, fire is not just a word that symbolizes, you know, heat, smoke, and, um, you know, potential energy. For me, FIRE is an acronym. It stands for Family, Integrity, Respect, and Education. That's who I am as a human being, as a person, and I've learned that. Um, And it took a good 20 years for me to really get grasp and build my philosophy on, like, what really makes me want to do this job? and, it, and I came up with fire. The F family, that's us. That's all of us. You know, uh, before we even started this, when we, we just started, a, you know, started our, our video chat, um, you know, I said, you guys are family. And I, and I really do mean that. Um, anybody that comes into my life and um, I, I'm, I get to operate day to day, you know, in this environment, you can't say, oh, just a shipmate or just a coworker. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you do, then you don't get to, to have that intrinsic level of leadership that you need or intrusive le- level of leadership that you need uh, in order to take care of them. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for you guys that I wouldn't do for my wife or my, my kids um, because I feel that strongly about what I do as a leader uh, in the Navy. You guys are my family. And I always, I love our NWUs. I wish I was wearing them today, but you know, over your right side, that's, your family name. Those are the people um, that are bragging about you at the coffee shop back home. Um, that's who you represent. <laughs> and then on the left side, you know, that other name tape, it says U.S. Navy. That's all of us. That's that's my other family. So um, yeah. when I say brother or sister, I'm not just saying that because that's what we say. We're brothers in arms or, 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 or family in arms um, in the armed forces. No, that's because I really believe that that you are my, my family and I love you. And I'm not afraid to say love, right? There's a lot of leaders out there, men, especially, especially that, that are allergic to the word love. Well, that's not me. Um, you know, I'll fall back on my, on my faith. Um, you know, faith, hope, and love is what God gave us. And that's, that's who I am as a person. So I'm sorry if I, I go start preaching on you guys. No, no I just, perfect. I actually, you've said it a couple of times. And for our listeners, we, we as sailors, we say it all the time, intrusive leadership. But for our listeners, I'm wondering if you can go a little bit uh, and expand a little bit on that, just to kind of give an idea of what it means to be an intrusive leader. Intrusive to me means knowing everything you need to know about that sale. You, you kind of got to get into their business a little bit. And, you know, you're not going to get that in the civilian world. People are like, mind your own business, right? Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely afraid of going to the civilian world and offending somebody when I go to work in a workplace and I say, well, how's your wife and kids? No, but, but really, how are they doing? Because you always get the, the you know, the standard and Mark what's 1 your dog's name? <laughs> the standard Mark 1 mod zero answer is like, oh, yeah, everything's good. We're good. Right, right. right. It's like, come on, man, bullshit. You know what's going on. How's things? Because right. you come, you're coming to work all poopy pants. Something's going on. What can I help you yeah. with? That ain't going to fly in the civilian world. But in the Navy, we have to, right? Because we're going to mm-hmm. go to sea or we're going to fly um, and, or we're going to go into, you know, combat zone. And if you're hitting on right, you know, I'm relying on my shipmate. I'm relying on you guys, my brothers and sisters, to take care of me the way I'm going to take care of you. So intrusive is 
is you got to know a little bit and you've got to be able to open up a little bit um, when you're in our organization. You've got to be able to give a little bit of yourself like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a little distracted right now by this um, so that people understand that. And then when you open up and you say that, then you're you, in my, my world, I'm a little bit careful when I tell somebody I got some stuff going on at home. Yeah, I'm a little guarded. I'm not going to tell them all the details, but I'm going to let them know that I have an issue. Um, and so that I don't project any, any misery or, or my, my own problems mm. on somebody else, right? So I think that's important in, uh, in the intrusive piece. And if you see somebody else that's, that's lashing out that normally is happy-go-lucky, um, you got to be able to get in there and, and find out how to, how to help them. I do love that. And I, and I do believe, you know, we work, so we work to long hours sometimes. So when you talk about the other family, it's, it's, we probably spend as much time with our shipmates as we do with our, our, you know, people that we live with family, blood family, you know, so it's so good to have that at the top of your philosophy. And I'm going to speak on behalf of you, Tomas, I was stationed with you. So what he says here is 100%. That's mm-hmm. him in a nutshell. We're not done yet with fire, but for the family part, we I remember coming up and having my weekly Cobb visits and we were stationed <laughs> together. Uh, and we, if, if I was having a crappy day, I told him everything about it Yeah. and vice right. versa. We talked to each other a lot and we always knew what each other were going through. And I've always appreciated that about you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's hard to take compliments sometimes. Oh, I know. I'm the same way. <laughs> I get, I get them so often. It's hard for me. I, I should be used to it. I know for you. I mean, it's, it's the hair that's always going to get you your confidence. Yeah, right. You got some pretty hair. Thank so. you. Oh, right. gosh. Here we go. <laughs> Keep it real. Let our bromance get in the way. I know. All right. <laughs> okay. Integrity. Let's move on to integrity. All right. Integrity. You know, um, I always like to use the Mark 1 Mod 0 um, phrase. Um, we go to boot camp. Um, you know, for those people that don't know what integrity is, or they think they know, um, and there's a lot of people that don't know what the word means. When you get to boot camp, you get a certain level of um, expectation on, on that word, um, and it's a shame that it doesn't show up in the Sailor's Creed. You know, that's always been a, one of my heartaches: is why isn't the word integrity True. built into our Sailor's hmm. Creed? I mean, that is to me is so fundamentally and foundationally that is the foundation of of who we are integrity the mark one mod zero answer in boot camp is it's doing the right thing when nobody else is watching right that's what integrity is um but we got to take it deeper it's who are you personally and not just personally um, but professionally where's your level of integrity you got to be the same person on duty as you are off duty um, because you know you're going to train how you fight and fight how you train um, so if you're not training at the right level all the time, then your, your integrity is not going to be where it needs to be. Um, and I think to, to me, um, my biggest pet peeve as a, as a cob or a CMC uh, is when somebody does something incredibly stupid, they violate their integrity or they compromise their integrity and do something the wrong thing. Um, maybe they like, I'm tired, you know, I can't, I'm too tired to stand this watch. So I'm just going to go hide behind this piece of equipment and take a quick 10 or 15 minute nap. Um, and, and you catch them in it and then they don't want to own it. They don't want to own yeah. it. It's like, you should make, <laughs> you got caught. Let's, right. it, it's time to, it's time to buckle up and, you know, take ownership of, of your faults. Um, so, you know, 
I have, I try to maintain the highest level of integrity that I possibly can. I've made a lot of mistakes uh, coming up in the Navy. You know, my E5 years from 1994 to 99, um, you know, I went to campus Bass three times in my first year as a second yeah. class. I, thought, I, almost, I almost made E4 three times, right? Outlaw, what outlaw? <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, this is a story for another day, but the, the, the bottom line is if I had not taken ownership of my mistakes, then I would have made E4. But mm-hmm. you know, I want to say the Navy was a little bit different. We're more lenient of stupid crap. Um, but as long as you came forward and said, this is what I did, this is why I did it, I understand it was incredibly stupid. I'll never do it again. And and so if you don't, you self-correct and you and you keep it moving. Um, so that's, I mean, luckily for me, I you know, I grew up in the Navy in a, in a time where uh, you could get away with some stuff. Um, but again, you know, a story for another day. I won't go into too much, but integrity. I mean, that's the foundation. You can't have honor, courage, and commitment. You can't if you have no integrity. And that's mm-hmm. why I say, you know, why why didn't we write this into our sailors' creed yeah. somewhere? It's so true, you know. And and owning up to your mistakes is is such a, a mark of respect because, like you said, a lot of people want to push it on somebody else or not or say I didn't do that or whatever it may be and you actually lose respect for that person like let's say for example you know that they did wrong and then you watch them blame somebody else or push it on somebody else you lose respect for that leader and as a leader I think that is a top priority and you see this kids with kids a lot they'll they'll try to like not take not take it I said well like, you know like the uh our oldest he set his alarm and was late for work and he goes well it was just it snoozed automatically it's not my fault the the alarm didn't go off you know like, oh, we gotta own it man you gotta own that you screwed <laughs> right. up that's right that's right exactly yeah but that I think that's a great you know uh, and maybe we should write integrity into the sailor's creed so if anybody from Millington I know you work there Everybody from Millington's listening. We need to make a change. We need to make add integrity somewhere because like, I think it's a big just deal. Just do the little uh, correction. Correct, little carrot. Yeah, the little carrot, and then write integrity in there. I, I agree. Integrity is huge. I mean, because without integrity, how are you going to trust that guy standing watch? That's right. Or a guy next to you in a foxhole or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's, it. That's it. So, yeah, and uh, I think again, going back to the philosophy, I think all all of all of my pillars are all of what I think are important are, are just about as equal. Um, but I think the next one that, that I wanted to talk about was respect. Um, that one's huge. And I know you guys have done lots of podcasts here recently on, on just respect in itself when it comes to race, religion, sexual orientation, um, political viewpoints. It's just, there's so many different avenues um, that as human beings, we just have to learn to respect each other and, and, and understand that we're just not going to get along all the time. And that's okay because we have different viewpoints and, you know, we're brought up in, in different cultural backgrounds and, you know, different parts of the world that, you know, what's culturally acceptable in one area is not going to be in somewhere else. Um, but you understand that and you educate yourself on that so that you're careful um, and you don't, you don't disrespect somebody. Right. Um, and, and everything always goes back to family for me, right? So if you disrespect one of my sailors, one of my brothers or sisters, stand by. Right? Oh, man. Because the big brother's coming. <laughs> that, that's me. 
right? Um, you don't get to disrespect one of my, my, my family members. You disrespect my family. I'm going to do everything in my power to advise my commanding officer to take your identification card, send you to the front gate, and stop your pay. Bye-bye. Right? Because I got no, no tolerance for it, no use for it. You don't get to hate me because I'm brown. You get to hate me because I'm firm and I'm fair and I told you to do something and you didn't want to do it, but you got to do it anyway. That, mm-hmm. That's okay. You could hate me all day long because I told you to do something and you don't agree with it, but it's, it's legal, it's ethical, it's moral, and it's safe. As long as I'm doing that, right? You can hate me all day long. Do right. your job. That's exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And keep the comments to yourself. Exactly. I feel the same way. You know, I'm such a, a calm person and a lot of people have not seen me get mad, but let them do something to mess with my sailors. <laughs> it's either my kids or my sailors. Right. And, and it's like a different level of mad. And I'm like, Hey man, you just messed with my family. And <laughs> listen, you know, all, all hats are off. I'm going in attack mode. Um, but I feel the same way because um, it's, it's, it's who we are as a Navy. It's, it's how close we are in, in the diversity in the Navy. And I say this all of the time is our strength. We include everyone because everyone has something to bring to the table and it doesn't matter the color of the skin or their gender or whatever it may be. Uh, Winners are winners. And, you know, when, when we combine the, the cream of the cream in the, in the tip of the top in the Navy, it, we can't, we're unstoppable. That's right. That's right. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's power in it, right? Um, yeah. I, I'd say one of the biggest disadvantages I had um, in the Navy growing up, you know, um, was the fact that I was on all-male crews. I, um, you know, I left the submarine community just as we were starting. Um, we had just started implementing uh, women officers on Trident submarines. Um, mm-hmm. And I was part of the working group for the enlisted women in submarines. So kind of getting together and thoughts and finding all the senior female leaders in the Navy, all the, the, the female master chiefs and uh, female officers and like, how can, how can, how do we integrate females into our, in our workforce? Um, and, and what does it look like? And how do, you know, besides the logistics, right? With different head and birthing and all that stuff that, give that to the, the shipbuilders and tell them to make it work. It's, it's how do we prepare the crew to start working with females? Um, and how do we um, prepare the, the spouses to start you know, understanding that we're going to have females on submarine um, and, and we're going deep and, and you know, we're going to do all the stuff that we need to do. Um, and how do we all get along in all of that? Um, and I'd say it's a disadvantage for me because it wasn't until I got to Kingsville, Texas, as I'm running the installation there, that I'm, you know, I've, I'm working with my first female um, sailors, and I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm like, oh, what am I, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk to female sailors, you know, I'm, I'm a master chief, I've been in the Navy at this point 20, 23, 24 years, wow. and I'm like, I'm nervous as all hell. And I'm like, what am I, go- I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to get fired. You know, you, you see on the Navy times all the time, all these <laughs> that are getting fired for, yeah. you know, fraternization and all this other stuff. Um, and so I had a senior chief, um, air traffic controller there um, oh, yeah. at Kingsville. And I brought her in and I said, Hey, help me out with this. I'm scared. And she's like, 
obscenity, 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 obscenity. <laughs> we're all we're all sailors, Master Chief. That's essentially. I'm like, just talk to us like you would anybody else. Don't treat us any differently. I'm like, well, shit, that's easy. I can do that. <laughs> easy day. Um, and I was able to 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 get it right. Um, now again, you know, I might have not been the smartest when it came to came to female grooming standards is probably something when I, when I took my rating exams that I probably got all those answers wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I got smart over the years. Um, but I guess it all just goes back to, you know, to respect. And there is a huge value in that diversity and, and not just between cultures, but genders, um, mm -hmm. having female and, and, and male crews working together and just, we all think differently. Men and women think so differently that, um, you know, I was, I'm, I'm sure our submarine uh, force is, is running so much better than it was 20 years ago, uh, now that we've integrated women on, on submarines, that you know, we've got just incredibly talented people, um, and now we're thinking with our right and our left sides of our brain and making, making a full brain uh, out of the whole out of the whole picture. So I just, I don't know, I, that's why I say, I, you know, I was so disadvantaged um, mm. at my early years. And I, I kind of, I'm happy with where we, we are today in the Navy when it comes to the sub, our submarine force. Isn't that funny? You said something that kind of sparked my interest because you were, you said you were afraid and you didn't know how to talk to females. And isn't that funny how the majority of the time we find out that things that we are afraid of is, is from our lack of knowledge. So we say, oh, yeah. well, you know, this sailor is from the hood and I didn't live in the hood. I grew up in a small town. So I don't really know how to come to the sailor and speak to them in a way that they would understand me. But at the end of the day, they're just another sailor, another human being. And you just talk to them like a sailor. And you, they, we never need to fear about coming at someone with a different background or culture, whatever, because at the end of the day, we're human beings, you know? That's right. It's treating people with respect, right? Exactly. Treating people, my, you know, the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Tomas Garcia's rule, treat people better than you want to be treated. Regardless of whether you call me Master Chief or good morning or, or anything, there's not, you don't have to address me first. I can say, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm still thinking about that conversation that you had with that uh, that that female senior chief. I know who you're talking about. I'm just, it's pictured in my head how it went because I bet that was hilarious. That if I'd been a fly on the wall, I wish I could have heard that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly. I mean, she retired um, yeah. after I got there, but uh, yeah, she was. She kept it real. She kept it 100 uh, for sure. And uh, and you're oh. absolutely right, Jamie. When it comes to you know, I don't speak Bronx. I can't talk to that person because I'm from country. You know, uh, I'm from little town. I'm not from inner city. It, you brought up a great point. It's not that fear that I had to talk to female sailors is the same that that so many people struggle with because, um, you know, I, I never saw a black person in my in my life until I joined the Navy. And I don't know how to talk to them. Um, yeah, they're America. They're Navy. Mm -hmm. They're sailors. Talk. Exactly. Just talk. Exactly. Exactly. Man, if that's one thing that we could get out to to everyone and, and you know, in the Navy, we, we have a, an advantage because 
uh, we train and we we work closely together. But if we could get that out to the rest of our Americans, you know, our civilians, hey, just talk, just talk, ask questions. If you don't know, don't be afraid. Just talk, right. you know. But you gotta first give a shit about that person you're working with. You gotta care a little right. bit to want to strike a strike a conversation. Hundred percent. That's true. Education. Let's talk about education. What, what mm-hmm. comes to mind when, when, when I say education, what are you guys thinking about? You're thinking about college. I'm thinking about college. Go to college. Got yeah. co- to go to college. Got to go to this trade school, yeah, right? right. Uh, I think those are important. I really do. Family integrity, respect, and education. But to me, it ain't about that. It's not about college. It's not about that tech school, the trade school. I think those are important. You have to have a certain level if you're expecting to, to, to make a certain income um, and you want to live a certain lifestyle. You got that degree to, to maybe get you into that next pay grade or that, that's, that, that pay scale. And God bless you in those tax brackets. But, you know, to <laughs> me, the payoff in education, it, it's all spiritual. It's what am I learning today about Jamie and Heath that I didn't know yesterday? What did I, what am I learning about you to make myself a better person? Because you guys are outstanding Americans. I love you to death. And just hearing the way you think gives me something else. So another tool in my tool bag to think of things and look at things in a different perspective that's going to make me a better human being. And hopefully it makes me a better leader. But my overall goal in life is not to be a better leader as it is to be a better person. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know I can get back up and preach. I want to be a, a man of God. I want to I be the best person of the best. Um, I want to be the best version of myself as I possibly right. can. Um, and I can't do that if I'm so closed off and I'm not continuously learning something new or, 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 or challenging myself to learn something new about somebody today that's going to make me a better person um, and, and hopefully turn that into a better leader. Um, so that's what the education piece to me is. Uh, again, you know, nothing to say anything bad about formal education. I think it's important as well. I just, um, it's, to me, it's all about being a better person, better human being. You know, I had a chief um, when I first got into the Navy, and he would always say the most dangerous air traffic controller is the one that thinks they knows everything, or the ones they think they know everything. And it's the one that stops studying, stops getting in the manuals, just controls on their knowledge, because everything in air traffic control is evolving, and everything in our Navy is evolving, everything in our world is evolving, And when you stop and you limit and you quit learning, that's when you become dangerous because you're working on the past knowledge or the way things used to be. And that's a dangerous Navy. It's a dangerous leadership style and a dangerous world to live in. Right. That's right. Yeah. And and what you said about, like we just said, about knowing a little bit more about that person today, whatnot, because it's hard to practice empathy if you don't know that person that well. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, in your honor, Tomas, we're going to do uh, after this, we're going to do a little history on a on a on a submarine. Uh, you might know it, the USS Thresher. OK. Yeah. And about how what great the tra- what great things came out of that tragedy, basically. So I, I knew about it. I was I was on the uh, tender and they 
not beating their head about subsafe and all that stuff. But when you I actually researched it and actually learned about it, you, I was able to put myself there almost and really appreciate the sacrifices those, those guys made, which made it a safer subforce for the rest of us. That's right. Really, it was, uh, and I didn't really understand. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a submarine until I really got in there and learned something. Mm-hmm. You learn something, you appreciate more of it, whether it be things or people or, or what. Right, that's right. So, so there, you know, go ahead. I was just thinking, you know, another way of, of, of thinking about the education piece is what, it, what am I going to learn today to motivate myself to motivate others? Yeah. Right? We could talk about the thresher. You know, I can talk some safe all day long with you. Uh, and how critical it was. And um, unfortunately, you know, we, it took a tragic event of you know, the lives of sailors to, to, to make a program um, so intrusive that uh, we're not going to repeat those, those critical errors. Right. Yep. And you know, that is just the, the, the charge of leadership honestly, <laughs> if for lack of a better term, but it's the charge of leadership. Everything that, every policy that we have made, every instruction that has been written, unfortunately has been written in blood and lessons learned. And until that tragic, whatever it may be has happened or mistakes were made, we have nothing to go on. And it, you know, it's just going back to this uh, last year with the pandemic, nobody knew this was uncharted territory for everybody. And we made a lot of mistakes and we did a lot of things wrong. And now we know what we, you know, after action 2020, hindsight 2020, we know what to do next time. But until the situation happens and, you know, sometimes you find yourself in uncharted territories with as a leader, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So everybody, there we have it. We have, Tomas Garcia's secret of his life, secret his secret of his success. And it's uh, four, fire. four little letters, one common word, fire. So correct me, I'm gonna try to recite it for you because you know when I fill in for you for Command Master Chief when you would take leave once in a while. Can we give this? Speech? I would try to give it because I'm like, dude, you need to. I'm like, dude, you you deserve to hear this. <laughs> but I think I did all right. I didn't do as good as you. I mean, I'd have a, I have a cheat sheet. Oh, so I would, when I do a check-in, I had to look at it. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. I wouldn't forget it. Cause I didn't do it all the time. I just, right. I was a, like a guest commentator. Yeah. He would tell me yeah. I'm going to do Tomas's speech. And I'm like, well, <laughs> a fire speech. A fire fire speech. speech. So, you know, well, I'll just, I'll just put this analogy. Cause I don't think you, you, uh, you mentioned it, but the fire is the basis of everything that a sailor is, right? We are all basic firefighters. Yeah, Get it? Yeah, fire. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like yeah, it. That's yeah. true. That's true. Down to the core. Down, you got you got down to the nuts and bolts, baby. Nuts and bolts of who we are <laughs> as it's all about the damage controls. Yeah, do. right. <laughs> so fire. So you got family. Then you got the I, integrity, R, respect, E, education. Did I get it? That's it. She nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> that's it. Then that was how he gave the speech. No, that's when not how I did. There's <laughs> a little more than that. I broke out the name tape and stuff. When you meet the CMC, just just be able to say fire. That's it. He'll he'll, he'll smile ear to ear. I know you got it. And at the time, I'm the CMC, so nobody's going to talk. There's junior guys. They're not going to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, CMC. Or yes, CMG. That's all they say. (laughs) And then they scratch their heads as they walk out. And they talk to their sponsor. What the hell did he just say? (laughs) Fire. (laughs) 
So I want to ask you some questions real quick. So what are some characteristics you've seen coming up as a young ET3 Garcia up to command master chief that some characteristics of good satyrs that, that makes you like, almost like, damn, I wish I could be like that person. Um, you know, the, the, the core attributes, you can be on time, look good, do your damnedest. Um, those are, that's always what I, I looked for uh, when I was trying to, to, to find a mentor or emulate. Um, and I found that in, in pretty much every one of my chiefs that I had growing up. But it was, it was the fact that they were always looking to, to find what else needs to be fixed. At, continuing asking the whys and why is this broken? How did it break? And, and really getting down to the nit and gritty of, of, of everything that they do. So those, those attributes of the leader, you know, is firm, fair, first, um, are, are some of the, the biggest things that, 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 that kind of just resonated to me um, about about the chiefs that, that I, I really want to emulate, you know, Mike, Mike Cobb on Seawolf, uh, Dean Irwin, he, he went on to be the force, um, submarine force master chief before he retired. Uh, you know, I just, I idolized that guy. You know, there was nothing that, that he couldn't do um, or, or kind of explain um, that just, it captured me. And, you know, when, it, when we're, we're living in a generation now where your sailors, they want to know the why. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not just do as I say, um, because I said it now it's more of a, Hey, you got to explain it. You got to give them a little bit of the why. And once you do that, you get the buy-in um, and you know, that you get a little bit of ownership in whatever they're doing because they, they get behind it. So that, that to me was, was always um, something I look for is, is if I'm going to have a chief or a leader out there, that's going to get up in front of me and tell me to do something. It gives me just a little bit of why I should give a shit, why I, you know, I should own this, this problem or this program or, or whatever. It just, it made me have pride through ownership. Um, and that's just, that's what I look for um, whenever I, you know, look for a powerful leader is, is somebody that could that really get up there and, and be the coach uh, more than um, a director. Right. What, what now, now that you're, you've been a CMC slash Cobb for since the last 12, 13 years. What at that time, what have you seen that really pissed you off leadership, uh, what leaders do characteristic leader do that makes you want to grab them up by the car and say, what the hell do you think? <laughs> oh man. Anything that's contrary to good order and discipline. Um, mm. you know, it's, it, it's drunk and disorderly. You know, what really pissed me off in a, in a chief's mess is, is a, a sloppy, a sloppy chief thing. You go out there, um, you know, you've probably been to a few khaki balls where the chiefs just get incredibly stupid. It's like, why, why are you doing this? We've got an example to set. Yeah. Uh, subordinates are looking at us. You know, we're, we're trying to change the direction that the chief petty officer is going. We're not, we're not that old drunk chief's quarter chief anymore. We're, we're the guy that's out on the deck plate leading the way um, and setting the example. So when, when I come across those, it, it, that really irritates me. Um, and then, you know, the, the ones that aren't going to that don't want to be held accountable, um, the, the ones that don't have integrity that or that they're going to lie. Talk about something that's going to piss me off um, is lie to me. Mm -hmm. I dare you lie to me because if I find out and you know me, Heath, it's like I am a very loving and gullible person. I am very gullible. You tell me um, that the sky is red. I'm going to believe you. Why? Because I 
I trust that your level of integrity is as high as mine, if not better. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But as soon as you lie to me and I find out, because it's probably going to be somebody like he's sitting next to me, like, hey, Tomas told us that. That dude's full of shit. Right? He's lying. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, he is. Wow. Right. Why would he do that? What kind of sailor is would do something like this? And that that irritates me. Uh, and it, you know, liars that just I, I can't tolerate it. I like that because he tells me all all the time you have to trust your sailors until they give you a reason not to. And and that to to them is everything. That trust up front right. is everything because they have given you no reason to not trust them. So you know they say they're sick. Well, believe them. They're sick you know, uh, until they give you a reason not to. But if you're, they're sick and then uh, a couple hours later, I go walk past the basketball course and out there playing b-ball, playing pickup game, then yeah. we got a problem. Then you got a problem. I'm but... going to embarrass them in front of the little buddies, but. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But I, I've always felt that, look, if they say they're sick, they're sick. Until they give me a reason not to believe. That's just, right. that's just how I was, that's how people treated me. That's how I treated them. The benefit of the doubt. Yeah. That's a doubt. I, I'm not going to go in there, you know, and probably one of the things that, that kind of upsets me the most is when you're getting to a new command and somebody tries to paint the picture for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't mm-hmm. trust this person. That person's a liar. This person run around on their spouse. You know, whatever. Um, stop. I don't want to yeah. hear it. Right. I don't want to hear mm-hmm. it. You know, you're, you're, you're tainting my view. I'm going to come in with rose-colored glasses. Everything is perfect. Leave, leave it alone until that person gives me a reason to not trust them and not believe them, then they're going to have a hard time gaining my trust back because it's going to be a long time, if, if not at all. Um, this, but as long as as a leader, you're up front with that. And that's what I loved about, love about our INDOC program. When I get in front of our sailors, I give them the fire speech. Um, and part of that integrity speech is don't ever give me a reason to question your integrity because once I do, once I do, I'm not going to trust you at all. If you want to gain it back, you're going to have to work hard. And there's a very good chance that I'm going to transfer before you get it back. Right. Wow. So it's easier to keep my trust and to earn it back. That's right. It's a lot That's easier. Right. That's wow. right. That's good insight. Yeah. And that's pretty much a lot of people I know. Mm-hmm. Most leaders, decent, badass leaders I know, they're, they're trusting people, but don't, don't piss up. Don't give them a reason not to trust you. Yeah. It's a common. It's common. But you got to give them that warning shot, right? Right. If they don't know you, you don't know them. But if I'm in charge, hey, let me, I'm going to give you my expectations. Expectations. Got to drop it. Yep. So- <laughs> You know, before we break off here, I was going to tell you, you know, that my family is from Bishop, Texas, too. My dad, my dad is from Bishop. My grandma grew up there. Last name Salazar. East side or west side? I don't know. Actually, I think, honestly, I think the house. That Yo, Bishop is so big, east side, west side. I didn't even know there was an east side or west side. But. <laughs> Which side of the basketball courts, you know? <laughs> I, think, I think her dad actually at one time lived in your parents' house. Is that right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Wow. That's when, he, cool. when, he, when he first moved to Bishop from uh, Las Cruces. We're probably um, cousins, Jamie. <laughs> prob- we probably are because my, gram- my grandma, my great-grandmother lived in Bishop um, until she had passed away in uh, the 90s, I believe. I can't remember exactly. I was young. 
but yep, she lived there in Bishop for her whole life. And, and with the last name Salazar, my grandma's from there. And then they moved to Corpus, Flower Buff. I'm sure, I'm sure my parents know your, your grandparents or your parents. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, right, it's small such town. a small town. It is such a small town. It's funny, east side or west side. <laughs> but it was funny. You said, I'm from Bishop, Texas, which is uh, not far from Kingsville. And everybody's like, where the hell's Kingsville? <laughs> <laughs> 40 miles south of Corpus They can Google that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just appreciate seeing you again and, and getting catching up. And, you know, just for you to open up and provide that insight for us, because um, leadership is heavy. And, and you, you just, you just, with your words, you, you helped us to understand yeah. that perspective. And I, I truly appreciate what you do out there in, in the cops and the CMCs. And now we can better understand from their point of view, the, the weight, when we right. say the weight right. of the, of the anchor or the stars or whatever you want to say, um, we understand what comes along with that. It is time. Time for what? Time for cigars, ports, and the seven. Boom, boom. Oh, by the way, happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. I am so excited that this episode is dropping on the 4th of July because it just seems so fitting. And I love the drink that I have today because it's very fitting for the 4th. It is. It looks, you know, it's American as hell. (laughs) So, uh, do you want to go ahead and start with your drink? No, you please. Oh, okay, first. thanks, thanks, thanks. All right, so what I'm doing is a review on a hard seltzer. Now, before you judge me, let's stop Let's stop shaming people who have gotten chubby and need to choose healthier ways to drink, okay? I'm, I'm not judging. Let's, let's get no, off that judgment train. Well, the Navy loves to judge people on these sissy drinks. And let me tell you. No, it's cool because you're a female. Nobody judges you. Now, if I drink it, they judge me. No, I don't think so. I think they, they judge <laughs> regardless of your gender. But I will tell you that um, sometimes you need to cut calories. And so good on me, pat on my back for noticing I was getting chubby and cutting calories. You're not chubby. <laughs> All right. So this is a Paradise, Paradise Park hard seltzer and I have never seen these before but they had really cool flavors so I wanted to try it guess what the flavor is what rocket pop rocket pop well you remember those uh when the ice cream man would come around the rocket pop candies it's it, no no it's not pop rocks oh it's on the pop rocks oh, oh bad. good grief Sorry. it's the it's the red white and blue popsicle oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah they're talking about yeah. red white and blue popsicle mm-hmm. so how fitting for the fourth of july and it's low calories uh 96 calories it does kind of have a lot of uh carbohydrates seven and five sugars um so it's not as healthy as you can get but it's still lower calories so i'm just going to open it for you right now in the nice 
pink can. Normally, pink I, normally I open them, so she's not very good at opening. I know. I don't like my nails to get messed up. Mm. All right. And what I like about this, I'm going to take a sip here because I'm going to tell you something about this seltzer. Okay. Oh, it's drilled. I drilled down my chin. All right. So <laughs> the flavors, the trio of flavors is uh, cherry, blue raspberry, and lime. And it actually, it finishes. So it starts cherry. Then you taste the blue raspberry. And then you taste the lime. It finishes with the lime. It's like a party in your mouth, huh? I know. It's like three flavors. Three wow. different flavors in one sip. Do you like it? I do. So what are you drinking? Oh, well, this is good on 4th of July. It's good at Christmas. It's good MLK Day. It's good anytime. Okay. I love it. It's called Bullet Bourbon Frontier Whiskey. It's the barrel strength. You're looking at about 58.3% by volume. So it's made in, I think it's made in Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. So, oh yeah, let me take a sip. So this is a good, this whiskey bourbon has a good uh, maple or amber, medium amber. Yeah, it's really uh, pretty. Color. I'm going to take a sip. I like the bottle because it looks old fashioned, mm -hmm. like back in the Western days. So with almost 60%, it does pack a little kick, a little Kentucky hug. Mm -hmm. But I like it. You get you get some nutmeg, some, some maple and some oak. Oh, it's, wow. It's pretty, not sweet, like overpowering, but it's got little sweet notes to it. And it's really uh -huh. good. Like I said, like I did with the uh, Widow Jane, this is my last. Are you emptying out I'm the empty, bottle? I'm emptying ding, it out. Ding, ding, ding. I'm emptying yeah. out. But this is a cool bottle. I love this bottle. It's got, it does look old. Like you would, something you'd see in the early 19, late 1800s. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Really cool yeah. bottle. Like an apothecary type. Yeah. Old cough syrup. Right. Medicine bottle. Breaking into grandma's cough syrup. <laughs> I like it, but no, it's got, it's got a little kick because, uh -huh. you know, it's a little stronger than in some liquors, um, but it's got a good, good flavors, really oh, good flavors. And it's so pretty too. It is. It's got a good color, good flavors. And I mean, it's reasonably priced. I think I paid 30, 30. No, I bought you this one. I bought it at the, oh, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. Uh, NEX, the Navy Exchange. That's right. Yeah. What is it, like 30, 40 bucks? Oh, uh, no, it's a little more expensive oh, okay. because it's aged longer. Oh, this is the age nine years, I think. No, I think no, it's, it's longer. Not. I think it's like 15 years. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. How long is it? I don't say. Oh, well, anyway, I paid um, I paid a little bit more for the aging. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with the benefit of shopping on the base, uh, liquor is pretty cheap anyways. I think it was like 50 bucks. You don't pay taxes either. Right. That's so uh, that's right. Yeah, they, they had it for 50 bucks. I have another liquor that's aged nine years. I'm getting my, my shit mixed up. Oh, okay. We'll yeah. keep it together. I know. I'm a hot mess. Well, I should have drank so much bullet before we started. <laughs> All right. So what are you going to smoke? Let's talk about the cigar. Portion. No, I'm not going to talk about what I'm going to smoke. I'm going to talk about what I already smoked because I can't smoke it in here. Well, okay. Don't, yeah. tease, don't tease the audience, babe. Well, let's talk about it. Okay. This is a La Aroma de Cuba uh, Ooh, cigar Cubano. by the Cubano. Now, I made some notes. Let me pull them out real quick on my phone when I was smoking. As I smoked one, and I'm going to review it with this one. So. <clears throat> I like the wrapper on it. Oh, it's really pretty. The huh? ring. Yeah, it looks like a like a real Cuban. No, no, the, the not up. the. You're talking about this, right? No, yeah. I'm talking about the, what do you call that? Cigar wrapper, the, the ring? Yeah. You know, that thing right yeah, there yeah. with the woman on it. I got it. it. Yeah, this does look like, like you got a Cuban woman. Mm-hmm. 
sitting on the top La Aroma de Cuba, but it's from Pepin Garcia. He's the maker of it. Great okay. cigar maker. He does a lot of good stuff. And for the price point, six bucks for this Robusto. Really? And this is a 93 rated cigar. The best you can get is a hundred. So wow, that's 93 great rated price. cigar, great price, paid $6. I think you can get them even cheaper, $5 some places. Mm -hmm. Even for the Toro, which is a little bigger, I think I paid $6.85, seven bucks for it. So it's reasonably, reasonably priced. And you, in the first third, I got some sweet, little sweet tobacco. Yeah. A little bit of cedar notes. Cedar. It's good though. So is that the smell? No, that's the flavor. You taste, you taste cedar. cedar. It almost tastes like you how smell. do you taste cedar? I mean, have you ever eaten? No, cedar? but you smell cedar and you fit and you, oh, you, you like, taste it. And that's through the retro, retro hill. Oh, fancy. You know what the like, retro hill is? Snoop Dogg. You know what the retro hill is? It's like Snoop Dogg, right? No, Where it goes not, back through your nose. Yeah, but it doesn't, you don't rap when you're doing it. <laughs> you also get a, a musty tobacco. A musty? It sounds crappy. Yeah, to people to novices or non cigar smoker, but it's actually a, a pleasant, a pleasant flavor. I love the smell of must. <laughs> and then that's in the first third, second third, I get a touch of spice. Interesting. And the cedar continues. And on the third, I get more spice in the cedar. And a little bit, a little bit of musty on the third, so third, third. You hear that if you would like to smoke a tree, a cedar tree. It's good though. <laughs> 93 rated. Hey. Can't beat it. beat it for the price either. No, no, you can't. You really can't. So let's get into our story today. Oh, the story. So in honor of Tomas, yeah, I'm going to talk about a story about the greatest lost in American history when it comes to submarines. Oh, what's that? The USS Thresher. Okay. This uh, but a lot of good things came out of this loss of lives. So we lost the whole sub. We lost the whole sub plus crew. Oh my God. Over 129 people, 112 sailors, 17 civilian contractors. Wow. On this, it was the, uh, I think it's still um, <clears throat> referred to as one of the worst losses in submarine history. Probably in naval history as well. Well, I know we got surface ships that went down in World War II. Oh, okay. But, you know, in submarine history, though, you know, that's probably the worst, the worst one. Yeah. They lost the most, most souls. Wow. So, um, yeah. So this was, I think what was big in the uh, all the way until 91 from like the late 40s to 91. What war? Who are we worried about? Madrasha. Oh, Cold War, right? Madrasha. So we were fighting with the Russians to go to space uh, for naval supremacy. Yeah. That to include submarine supremacy. So this Thresher, named after the Thresher Sharp, was commissioned in 1961. Uh -huh. A August 3rd, 1961, to, with a pure reason, its, its job was to hunt and destroy Russian submarines. Wow. So it was the fastest. It was, had the biggest armament of, in, in history. This was the, the baddest son bitch in the water. So we, were we running on nuke, nuke power? Nuclear propulsion. It's not the first nuclear propulsion. Nautilus no, was. The Nautilus but, was. Yeah. But uh, this was faster. Yeah. And the, the weapons on this thing was unbelievable. So this is one of the things I tell everybody when I do talk about nuclear power, like to the people I try to recruit for it, is that this is the reason why we are the world's greatest Navy, is that we run on nuclear propulsion. And because it's quieter, 
it's more it's stealthier and you got to think all these other submarines at the time are running on diesel a lot of them were super loud, loud and, and and we're stealthy we're quiet that's in comparison right so it's probably not loud but compared to when you're well, dealing to the sonar when text. you're dealing with sonar that some bitch is putting out a signature like crazy right right it's it's it's, it's yeah. like a rock concert underneath the water that's right? what we meant by quiet right yeah right because i mean if you can hear shrimp eating at the bottom of the ocean you surely can hear a big diesel engine coming through yeah definitely definitely and this was the it's gonna be quieter faster and just the the weapons on it were crazy right? wow a, a new type of alloy that it was the hull is made out of that's made that's still used today and yeah it was it was gonna hunt and destroy a, a bamf badass oh, yeah don't say it man come on we're pg-13 <laughs> here <laughs> but it was built and like i said commissioned in 30, uh, 61 um but then it got to its sea trials from 61 to 62 it had a, had some issues it had had to work out some issues like any new v, uh, vessel yeah you got to work out the bugs, right? That's that's normal. Even today, there's some bugs that come out. That's why you do these tests to work yeah. these bugs out, so it's it's uh, seaworthy and war ready, right? Right. I know they do that. I've seen um, <clears throat> videos of them doing that with some ships, like hard maneuvers. You mm -hmm. know, just going as fast as they possibly right. can. So they test out everything exactly. that they can possibly coming uh, that they could think of, right? With these vessels, definitely, definitely. So one time it was stationed. A station it had pulled in and to uh, Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. San Juan, and it, it the reactor went down right on purpose, right? To and then it, uh, it's intended to run off the diesel generators that was going to power the sub, right? But the diesel diesel generators took a dump. Oh, great! Battery only, and battery only lasts a certain amount of time. You know, it's like your ups on a computer; it only lasts a certain amount of time. Right. Batteries die. It needs that other power to charge the batteries. Correct. So they were trying to fix it. Uh, I don't think the captain was even there. He was out at some function out in town, like a lot of SEALs do. They have to go, you know, right. hobnob and rub elbows with rub the locals. Elbows, kiss babies. And it's not like we had cell phones in 1961, 62. True. So, it, you know, I think they might have got a hold to him. So he said, uh, keep it on battery until you can fix the diesels and bring it up. But after, I think after 10 or so hours of being on battery, so battery only powers necessities mm -hmm. air conditioner is not a necessity oh it was 140 degrees in that submarine after 10 or 12 hours of being oh, goodness. without a uh, air conditioner finally they were like well let's get we need a little bit of battery power to light the reactor back off to to power the ship so they decided to go ahead and uh, use the battery to light it off there wasn't enough battery power to light it off oh no luckily there was another ship or, or submarine in port and they ran ran cables from from the thresher to the other ship, and they were able to light it off using their power. It's like a car jump, jump start at some bitch. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so wow. they were. So that was a kind of like, damn, the diesel generators took a dump. So they got that fixed though. That got okay. repaired. And sometime later, they were pulled into Cape Canaveral, Florida. Mm -hmm. I guess some Florida man driving a tugboat hit it. <laughs> and, and destroyed Thanks the to our Florida man. Yeah, Florida man. I don't know if he was a Florida man, but you know, it sounds something like Florida man would do. No offense, guys, but uh, <laughs> but hit it and did some damage to the uh, ballast ballasting system. So they had to get that fixed. Mm -hmm. So there were some like little telltale signs. Hey, 
That's some bad luck around this ship. Yeah, right? what's going on? So the ballasting, we've talked about ballasting before. Ballasting, yeah. So, uh, so that's the leveling system. And then a sub is important because you can't, you can get under, you can't go underwater, you can't come, come back up. You can't come back up without ballasting. That's what they right. do. So they got that fixed. They went to a yard period for uh, for about nine months. What's six? It got extended. Like most new ships, they 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 run into bugs they're not they're not expecting. So mm -hmm. it went from six months to nine months. So in April of '63, uh, it met up with the Skylark. The Skylark was a submarine rescue ship. So when these when these ships go out and do testing, they always have a, a surface ship with them right. to communicate with and you know to help them out. So they, were, they, they went about 200 or 220 miles off the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh -huh. And they were doing dive testing. <clears throat> Most of it was pretty elementary. They're doing their certain, their, their easy dives and resurfacing. They call that a trim dive. I don't know much about trimming, but you know that's what they start out with. That's cold over there. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, it's cold. And this was in April, so it was still cold. Yeah. Um, so they... They were doing that and all of a sudden they were maintaining communications with the Skylark. You know, everything's going good, going perfect. Textbook, if you will. Then they said, okay, we're going to do a test depth. Mm -hmm. Okay. Half test. I mean, half test depth. What's that? Test depth is where they tested at. That's as far as you're going to try to go for that. For the thresher, it was 1300 feet. Okay. So half test is 650 feet, right? Mm -hmm. Below the surface of the ocean. So they stayed, they went to 650 feet, half test depth yes and they stayed there overnight circling the skylark underneath the water maintaining communications with the underwater telephone we call that uh gertrude mm -hmm. and it was just doing its normal rotations overnight good so next morning they're like okay we're gonna go we're gonna go full test depth so it started to descend the full test depth mm -hmm. and, and, and when they do when they go down underwater they Every hundred feet, they stop, test the systems, look at everything, make sure everything's good. Then they'll go another hundred feet. So it's a slow descent, right? Right. Well, um, that morning, the uh, Skylark, uh, I think there might've been, they're close to test depth, maybe 900 to a thousand feet down. Mm -hmm. They uh, got a, they heard a garbled message from the thresher. They couldn't hear a lot of it, but what they could hear was something in the lines of, we are experiencing difficulties. Mm. attempting to emergency blow. That means come up to the surface. Come up fast. Fast. So that's where ballasting comes in and all that. <clears throat> well, the Skylark said, okay. You know, they heard that. And they said, and they made sure the area was clear from the blow. And they reported like, all right, you're good to go. Come emergency blow. You're good. The area is mm -hmm. clear. Then they didn't say anything. They started getting deeper and deeper. Oh my deeper and deeper. And they heard something like, uh, and at the end, Toward the end, they heard something uh, like a loud frequency noise. Which, like a screech. Something like that, which in sonar world, that means an implosion. Oh, God. So, you know, of course, you know, they, the Skylark around 11-ish that morning, they called, okay, loss of the thresher. You know, we can't mm -hmm. out of, no, out of no, comms. no comms or whatever. So the Navy said like 15 or 20 ships circling around trying to find them about 10 hours later they look we cannot find these guys you gotta think this is 1958 right. 1963 right this is 1963 april 1963 so radars or they have sonar but we don't how deep have we gone at that at that point. time i mean <sighs> it's really there's really nothing that anybody could really do 
So they called it off. The CNO, Chief of Naval Operations, made his comments. Lost, we lost the thresher. Um, JFK, yeah, the, the president at the time, John F. Kennedy, uh, ordered the flags to half mast from the 12th to the 15th of April, 1963, in honor of the crew of the Thresher, 129 souls, 112 sailors, like I said, 17 civilian uh -huh. contractors lost their lives on the Thresher as it sank to the bottom. Okay, and there was always a conspiracy that Navy was, the Navy, Navy came up with the conclusion that a seawater valve ruptured. Okay. Right, couldn't get, couldn't get it controlled in time. Water sprayed on the electrical panels of the reactor. Reactor shut down. No power. Right. Emergency blow. There was icing on the submarine. Because it, it's cold. Because it's you're a thousand feet underwater. It's cold. And it's it's off the coast of Massachusetts. In April, so they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't come up to the surface. Just a a recipe for the worst disaster imaginable. Oh my gosh. And so a man named a former. Navy Captain James Bryant. Mm -hmm. He had, he had in the past had commanded thresher-like submarines, the same type. Mm -hmm. So he had a lot of knowledge on these, on these submarines. And he sued the Navy after his retirement. Really? They weren't documents because they, they thought they were, they were covering something up. They released something like 3,600 documents to the public. Um, and it came out, they weren't covering anything up. What did he think? That he thought it was more to it than that. A oh, lot of people did. They thought maybe they got attacked or that something. They didn't know. They thought, oh. they, they just thought that's something more to it. But after research and after courts and whatever, they decided Navy wasn't covering anything up. It was seawater rupture mixed with, mixed with lack of training, a rush, because they're rushing, you know, the Navy was rushing to, so the, hurry, let's get it going. Let's, let's get, get it going. going. We gotta get beat the Russians. Gotta go. beat the yeah. Russians. Gotta beat the Russians. Gotta yeah. beat the Russians. So a lot of that came with Russian lack of training. Also, the they, the reason the Navy weren't was not forthcoming with this information is because they were just trying to keep submarine blueprints plans away from the enemy. It was just, right. It was just. It was just because at that operational time, security. no other Navy had nuclear submarines. Didn't know our. Made, they didn't know our infrastructure because this is like these these subs were brand new at the time. So. Yeah, they were hot shit. Yeah, so they were willing to get their hands on those blueprints. Right. For sure. They try to keep everything hush hush. So it took till 2019 before this came. I can imagine. That's crazy. It's a long time. No, I can imagine because even today's Navy submarines are very stealthy. They're, we don't know their, their You'll depths. never know they're there. We, we don't know how deep they can go. We don't know how fast they can go because all of that's classified. Yeah. Like the Thresher was advertised over 30 knots underwater, which was trucking at that's that day. That's huge. You know, that's huge. Times 30 knots times 1.2, that 30 miles an hour times 1.2, that's how many knots you're going. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're trucking 35, 36 miles an hour underwater or 36 knots underwater. Yeah. That's moving. And that's just what they told us. That's what they told us. Everything else is classified. All ships, a lot of ships, if you look at their speed, it's mm -hmm. over 30 knots. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a general. Right. Yeah. But uh, some good stuff came out of this. Unfortunately, yeah, that was a tragic loss to the Navy and to their families, you know, oh. uh, not knowing. And okay. it sank in it ended up being at the bottom of the ocean in that area, 8,500 8, feet. 8,500 feet. And people got pictures of it later on, years later. It looked like it'd been through a paper shredder. Really? And just an idea how fast this happened. The sailors on that ship knew they were going to die after a certain point. 
but they never knew when they died. It, that thing crushed like a tin can in 0.1 seconds, faster oh than the God. Navy, and faster, than, faster than a human nervous system can, can respond to that. But even still, just sitting there knowing you're going to die yeah. is oh, yeah. the worst, I think. I mean, I, um, I guess if you could say I'm glad, I'm glad it was fast for them, but just the, the descent knowing that oh, this scary. is going to happen is is just as scary as any other. I can't, yeah, I can imagine that. Um, but some good came out of the tragedy, SubSafe. Okay. SubSafe is a program they use from the birth of the ship, mm -hmm. from they start building it to every repair, all the way until that ship is decommissioned, quality control. Everything is inspected. Everything is inspected three or four times. And I dealt with QA when I was on the sub tender mm -hmm. for anything we did on the submarine. And it is a... It's a paperwork nightmare. Tedious, right? Tedious, but it is written in blood. Yeah. And they take it seriously. Yeah. It, I've never, I've, I had to supervise one, one or two uh, projects and it was stressful because you're checking, I'm, you check it every T, every I. Now that, now I know that um, when it comes to reactors, so I can imagine the subs, but they know down to where that nut and yeah. bolt came from, yep. when it was put in, when it was replaced, the manufacturer of the oh, nut yeah. and bolt. So every piece of that vessel is, they know everything. It's crazy. It's, and it's to a T and we haven't had a lost submarine in over 50 years. Right. So it, you know, the Scorpion right after about five years, 68, after the Thresher, we lost a Scorpion, not as many people on board, but still a, lo a severe loss. A severe loss. But in, in the, in its defense, it was not sub, Subsafe certified. They had started the program, but they were in a way of implementing throughout the Navy. It takes time, you know. It does. So it was not every no other ship has been lost in the in America as far as submarines that has been subsafe certified. Wow. And that's 50 plus years. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's you know, so many of our instructions and policies are written in blood because yeah. of lessons learned. Yeah. And after actions and that sort of stuff and you know that with uh, aviation aviation <clears throat> everything we do is written in blood um because you don't know until you have something like that happen and yeah. then you can say well you know let's not do that again yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately but uh you know it's today's navy is safer it, it is there's a lot, a whole lot that goes into everything that we do. Every movement is thought about, inspected, and, yeah. and yeah. it's for those that have gone before us. So I say to the crew of the Thresher, let's have a drink. Cheers. Cheers. So I know that you got some audio footage. Yeah, we got, uh, I looked for the actual footage of the Thresher. <clears throat> I heard it exists, but I couldn't find it. I, mm -hmm. I think it might be under lock and key somewhere. But uh, we do have uh, a three-minute audio to show you or to let you listen to that that experts talk about kind of the last few minutes of the Thresher while it was taking on water, water getting into the electrical panels for the reactor and the reactor shutting down. And I, I hope you enjoy it because it's really eye-opening. It opened my eyes. I think it opened, oh opened Jamie's gosh. eyes. It's just, it's um, it's intense. So, yeah. you know, discretion, advice. advice. It, um, but, you know, with that, 
We'll leave you with the audio. Fair winds. And following seas. In the engine room, Pappy Kiesecker may be the first to smell trouble. The scent of salt. The leak likely begins small. A coupling on a seawater pipe has slipped. One of those joints started parting. No. Start spraying water. This is bad. Con, we have flooding in the engine room. Repeat, we have flooding in the engine room. Full rise of planes, gentlemen. Helmsman, point the sub upward. Emergency blow. The crew tries to blast air into the ballast tanks to force the sub to the surface. It doesn't work, and the leak is growing. It's very, very loud. Hard to imagine how loud that gets. 50 tons of water are now pouring in every minute. It atomized because it was coming under such high pressure that that created a fog, almost a rain inside the submarine. Shorted out their electrical bus, just like if you threw water on your electrical panel. And when that happens, the reactors automatically shut down. Thresher is now in mortal danger. It has lost its chief source of power and propulsion, now, where are we its nuclear reactor. Hold her steady. Let's focus, fellas. Reactor shut down, no power. All over the sub, machinery grinds to a halt. You can just hear everything shut down. You can smell it. The air gets stagnant real quick. They're taking on water, their reactor is shut down, and they can't blow main ballast, and they start their slip. Backup batteries lack the juice to drive the sub upward. And they got up so far, and then it just stopped, and then it slid back. It took a while for them to go from where they were down to crush depth. They knew for a while that they were going to die. Thresher cannot survive below 2,000 feet. You'll start hearing the forces of the pressure. Things are starting to pop, and then something really goes. At 9.18 AM, the battle ends. The sea's unimaginable power crushes the Thresher like a tin can.